Chapter 8 Live Words You now know the recipe for simplicity. Talk about the people in short sentences with many root words. Here is an easy trick for killing these three birds with one stone. Use verbs. Let me repeat that. Use verbs. Nothing is as simple as a brief three-word sentence that follows the pattern, somebody does something. It is the verb, the verb that gives life to any sentence. It literally makes a sentence go. But we have, to, we have seen that in Chinese. The simplest of all languages, there is no such thing as a verb or noun or adjective for that matter. How, then, do the Chinese make their sentences go? Well, the explanation is simple. One word in each sentence serves, so to speak, as its motor. For this particular sentence, it works as a verb. If a Chinese says man bite dog, the word bite, otherwise unclassified, serves as a verb that's why it has been put after man and before dog. In modern English, which gets more and more quote-unquote Chinese, we do that all the time and appoint a word to do verb service by putting it in a certain place in a sentence. We can say, raise your face or face your raise, ship a book, or book a ship, spot the cover, or cover the spot. There is no question that each of these sentences has a verb in it, and no question which is the verb. The point of all this is, is of course, that I am talking about here only of those words that are used as verbs in a sentence. They are what the grammarians call the, quote, finite active verb forms, unquote, and they are the only ones that have life in them. Hearing of verbs, you probably think of passive participles and infinitives and gerunds and all the other fancy varieties that have plagued your grammar school days. Well, forget about them. For all practical purposes, they are not verbs but nouns or adjectives, lifeless words that won't make your sentences move. The verbs you want to use are those that are in active business doing verb work. If you use a verb in the passive voice or make a participle or noun out of it, you have lost the most valuable part in the process. It's like cooking vegetables and throwing away the water with all the vitamins in it. If you go through any newspaper or magazine and look for active, kicking verbs in the sentences, you'll realize that this lack of well-used verbs is the main trouble with modern English writing. Almost all nonfiction nowadays is written in sort of pale, colorless sauce of passives and infinitives motionless and flat as paper. Listen to this, for instance, 
from an essay by Paul Schrecker in the Saturday Review of Literature. Excerpt begins. Maybe the gradual actualization of this solidarity was the result of scientific and hence technological progress, which caused distances to shrink and required ever-expanding markets. But it is a preconceived and entirely unwarranted idea to believe this technological unification to have been a primary cause, and hence to overlook the fact that its triumphant appearance on the world scene would not have been possible without the prior existence of a potential world civilization. The ever-expanding sphere of influence of literature, science, and works of art, which rarely respects any national or regional boundaries, cannot be accounted for by the introduction of faster and easier means of communication or by the improved technological methods of mass reproduction. The phenomenon reveals mankind's preparedness to respond promptly to incentives emerging from the fields of knowledge and the arts, irrespective of their national and regional origin. End of excerpt. Or how about this from Mary Howard's Mail. Beginning of excerpt. Morbid preoccupation with thoughts of sex gratification after one has attained the age of reason is not a sign of emotional preca- precocity, as some may suppose, but just the opposite, namely evidence of a definitely infantile type of emotional egocentricity, what the psychologists call a state of arrested development, the uncomprehending, inarticulate infant's sense of well-being is wholly related to bodily feelings of being well-fed, comfortably clothed and bedded, fondly caressed, etc. His sole concern insistently registered is with physical gratification, because instinct tells him that pleasurable sensations at his helpless level of development are synonymous with a reassuring sufficiency of creature care and healthy survival. End of excerpt. Now if you look closely, you will notice that the only active finite verbs in the first passage are caused, required, respects, and reveals. Four mildly active verbs matched by 27 passive forms, infinitives, participles, verbs made into nouns, and forms of the auxiliary verb to be. In the second passage, we have suppose, call, and tells against 32 inactive verb forms of various types. And now let us look at the language of Shakespeare or the Bible for contrast. Here's a speech by Brutus. Beginning of excerpt. No, not an oath, if not the face of men. The sufferance of our souls the time's abuse. If these be motives weak, break off be times, 
and every man hence to his idle bed, to let high-sided tyranny range on, till each man drop by lottery. But if these, as I am sure they do, bear fire enough to kindle cowards and to steal with valor the melting spirits of women, then countrymen, what need we any spur but our own cause to prick us to redress what other bond than secret Romans that have spoke the word and will not palter and what other oath oath than honesty to honesty engaged that this shall be or we will fall for it swear priests and cowards and men cautelous old feeble carrions and such suffering souls that welcome wrongs unto bad causes swear each creatures as men doubt but do not stain the even virtue of our enterprise nor the insuppressive metal of our spirits to think that our cause or our performances did need an oath when every drop of blood that every roman bears and nobly bears is guilty of several bastardy if he do break the smallest particle of any promise that hath passed from him end of excerpt and these are words of job beginning of excerpt wherefore do the wicked live become old ye are mighty in power their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes their houses are safe from fear neither is the rod of god upon them their bull gendereth and faileth not their cow calveth and casteth not her calf they send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance they take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ they spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave therefore they say unto god depart from us for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways what is the almighty that we should serve him and what profit should we have if we pray unto him lo their good is not in their hand the counsel of the wicked is far from me how oft is the candle of the wicked put out and how oft cometh their destruction upon them god distributeth sorrow sorrows in his anger these are as subtle stubble before the wind and as chafe that the storm carrieth away end of excerpt clearly most of the power movement and beauty of these passages come from the succession of active verbs shakespeare makes tyranny range men drop and cause prick us to redress the bible makes a bull gender a cow calf and children dance these are 19 live verbs in the shakespeare passage against 11 passive verb forms verbal nouns etc in the bible passage the ratio is 20 to 11 maybe you will say that i am unfair in using the bible and shakespeare as examples after all newspapers and magazine articles are written to meet a deadline by writers who don't 
dream of being literary geniuses. So why compare their style with all-time masterpieces? I admit I am a little biased here, but anybody can try to use active, working verbs wherever possible. It won't make him a Shakespeare that will make him write good, plain English. Here is, for instance, one modern example from Ernie Pyle. Beginning of excerpt. The company I was with got its orders to rest about five one afternoon. They dug foxholes along the hedgerows and commandeered German ones already dug. Regardless of how tired you may be, you always dig in the first thing. Then they sent some men with cans looking for water. They got more K-rations up by the jeep and sat on the ground eating them. They hoped they would stay here all night, but they weren't counting on it too much. Shortly after supper, a lieutenant came out of a farmhouse and told the sergeants to pass the word to be ready to move in ten minutes. They bundled, they bundled on their packs and started just before dark. Within half an hour, they had run into a new fight that lasted all night. They had had less than four hours of rest in three solid days of fighting. That's the way life is in the infantry.